Um, let me see here. Well, hello, Lee. I'll take this, pass it around. In case you're wondering, that this yellow sheet serves, I think, um, no purpose at all. But um, <laughs> when I when I first came here, because we, we have like this database, right, of like when where members are, or I guess like what services people have come to, and what Bible studies people have come to, and we do that so we can actually track like who's who is who's worshiping where and making sure we're keeping members connected and everyone's kind of plugging in somewhere. Problem was, people weren't actually, not everybody signs the sheet. No one signs, not everyone signs the, the card at church. Then that, the data isn't always implemented accurately. And so it's not really a reliable thing. But we kind of have this thing at church where um, you can't be on a board. And I guess it's, I, I can't blame the congregation. This is my thing. Pastor Klimmer, you can't be on a board of this church unless you're coming to Bible studies. And the reason why that is, is like, if you're, if you're not studying God's word, then why are you determining how the money of this place is spent? <laughs> so like, that's a pretty dangerous formula of, and really can, can take the church in its, an unsafe direction. So I kind of set that bar. And this piece of paper gets, if, assuming it gets implemented properly, turn the table you catch this i turn the perpendicular to, so that half of you aren't having to sit like on random uncomfortable orange tables in the back <laughs> all right i'm going to open us up with prayer like how you're all fiddling with your books as though i'm getting you to turn to the, i haven't i haven't told you to turn anywhere yet. you're just fiddling around <laughs> feel free to fiddle all you want i'm just going to pray let us pray Lord God, Heavenly Father, in holy baptism, you began your good work in our catechumens, and you have blessed their instruction and training in your word. We implore you to pour out your Holy Spirit on their hearts and minds so that they will truly love and revere you, confess the faith with joy and boldness, endeavor to live according to your commandments, and praise and glorify you as their faithful God and Lord. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, before I forget, next week... We don't have class. Um, I've got a, there's a pastor's conference in Starved Rock. So all the pastors are there on, um, on Wednesday uh, and Wednesday night. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So um, when I was a young pastor starting off in Colorado, our circuit um, pastor's conferences were always in Breckenridge. And then I came here and Pastor Schumacher's like, oh, you're going to love the place where we have our pastor's conferences. I was like, oh yeah, really? Is it Breckenridge? <laughs> no, Starve Rock. I'm like, yeah, I don't think it's going to compare, man. <laughs> so like you go and you hike, if you've been to Starve Rock, you, know, you can hike up and you see like, there's, if you, certain places it's really pretty if you use your imagination. But then if you look down, you see like all the garbage kind of floating in the side, like the seagulls eating like garbage and the, the weird dam thing. I'm like, yeah. God, don't look at that. Like, keep looking over here. Look at the sunrise, you know. 
that Starbrock is Illinois' Breckenridge. So. <laughs> it's basically, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's nice. I sh I shouldn't complain, but um, but that's so that's next Wednesday we won't we will not have class, and I'll have um I'll have Beth email you that reminder as well. So today we're gonna we're gonna wrap up our conversation on the Ten Commandments, and um to to lead us into that last time we if you'll open your your hymnal hello sir to uh. Divine, the beginning of the divine service. Let's look at divine service setting one, maybe one, 151. That's right. Yeah. And so far, we've we've kind of. As I've mentioned to you before, I like to I, I like to structure this with one foot in the hymnal because this is what we're this is really what you're getting into. I mean, the church is all about the worship life of the church, so the doctrine really flows into and out of our worship life. So, as as we recall in 151, we're beginning in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because that's the name that means everything. God put that name upon us. That's His presence. That's um, when He put His name on the temple, He moved in. In the Old Testament, and now he puts his name on us and he moves in. So where he puts his name, he has his presence. And he calls us together uh, to his name and says, we're two or more gathered in my name, there I am among them. So here we are. The Lord has called us together in the, in the service to, to his name. Um, and then we, right away, we confess our sins. So you kind of have to know what, what sin is. So that this the, the Lutheran service, I'd say it's not just Lutheran, but the divine service as the church has always practiced, it's not necessarily trying to be um, what's modernly or, or uh, popularly called uh, seeker-sensitive. That is, people kind of wandering off the streets, look church shopping, uh, that we're just trying to, we're going to change the service to try to like, to try to baby them along and explain everything to what we're doing. Really, the, the service is meant to be enjoyed by those who kind of know what's going on already. Hence, the, hence why, like, when we get to communion, I read that statement every week. Like, talk, I, I want to have a conversation with you. I want you to know what we're about, what we, what we believe, what we confess, why we're doing the things the way we're doing them. Because when you ultimately, like, right away, when we come together... And, and the pastor says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's waving his hand around there. Ella's thinking, is there a mosquito trying to get the pastor? What's he doing up there? What's he waving his hand around for? And then, and then we say, if we say we have no sin, well, that assumes that you know what? What sin is. So, so here you are. Like you don't, you don't even know what sin is, and I'm asking you to confess your sins. And then we jump in, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. That is, I don't just do sins, but I am sinful to the core. We have sinned against you, God, in our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. Thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have left undone. We haven't done the good stuff that we're supposed to do. We haven't loved you, God, with our whole heart. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve present eternal punishment for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. We're asking for God's mercy and forgiveness. Uh, so we walk in his ways and so forth. And then we have the absolution. So, so this guy, and notice I don't say, and Jay Beth, I don't say Jesus forgives all your sins, but it's I forgive all your sins. So on the first page, we haven't even gotten off the first page of the service yet. And it assumes a lot of knowledge, a lot of like understanding on the part of the 
of, of the worshiper. What is sin? Why am I here? Uh, what is this name business? Why is Beth sitting over there all by herself? All kinds of stuff coming to mind now. <laughs> I mean, did anyone notice Beth came there? She's trying, she's trying to not be distracting, but I just want to lean into it, Beth. <laughs> it's like when young parents in church try to keep their baby quiet. What you do as a pastor is you want to just say, like use that as an example of like wonderful faith in the parents, but... You know, it's not a good thing if you want those people to stick around your church to draw attention to them, so I try to do, avoid that. So to, as, we, as we consider uh, what our sin is and um, what, what, are, what are those sins that we need to confess, we need to reflect upon the law. I talked about the law in general last time. We looked at the Ten Commandments on, from Exodus 20, what the Ten Commandments are. Um, but, and we're going to go through the Ten Commandments, boom, 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 all the way through. But kind of as we back into that, Let's, if you would, open your Bible to Luke 5, 31. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Five thirty-one. So wh- why... Why we start off with the law, really the, the way Luther structures his catechism, he starts off with the law. There's six chief parts, and um, you can actually see them. On your, if you have your catechism with you, you can flip to the catechism on the very front page of it. Because just because I want you to have more books open in front of you, and now you got all the books are being used at once. This is... and. Oh, I didn't give you a handout today, but I got mine. So this is like the most media I've engaged <laughs> simultaneously. No. I never use them, Beth, so I... <laughs> I just read, I read one out for myself and made notes over it. So the six chief parts. Bad start. Strike one. What I like to do is I keep those around and put them back in the bucket so I have the same problem again next week. So these are the basics of the faith that the Luther is unfolding in the catechism. And these are nothing, these are no surprises. It's like what it, how we teach the faith. First, Ten Commandments. Second, so what do you think comes next? The major tenets of the faith, you're flipping around your catechism there. The creed. What comes next? What's next? And then? And then? Than the supper. Now, the reason why we structure it this way, and Luther is pretty important, like, first of all, he says, to be a Christian, you really have to know these three things. Not, not, not all the what does this means, but just to know, to know my sin, to know who God is and how we are to talk to him and all the gifts that he gives us. That's really the basics. But like, none of this stuff makes any sense without understanding really these, especially these first two. So we don't, 
it's not necessarily helpful to start talking about the Lord's Supper because here Jesus is saying, I forgive you all of your sins, to which we say, well, what is that? And why is that bad? Do I have sin? I don't even know, right? So we need to know what that is. And that's why we start off with the Ten Commandments as the creed. And then once we know our, our sin, then we can get into who God is and what he's done for us and how we talk to him. Then how the forgiveness of sins that if we confess primarily with Jesus and the creed, how that's delivered to us in these three ways. So we'll be getting, we'll be building up to that. But Luke 531, somebody read that for us. We gave him back up to 29, to Levi. Levi made him a great feast in his house. Are you with me? Yep. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not so Jesus is specifically coming for one kind of person. What kind of person? Sinner. A sinner. Now, isn't that like it, it's so simple? And yet, think about how Christianity is typically portrayed in like every TV show or movie, right? The average, the Christian is the kind of the uppity goody two-shoe. It's the Pharisees. It's what, it's what the scriptures actually paint clearly as a Pharisee or, or hypocrites, right? And so think about it from a, a, a non-Christian view of looking on from the outside and, the, and you say you're a Christian or you're, you're oh, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to, to new member class of this, of this congregation I'm looking to join. Oh, you Christians, you always think you're better than everybody else. Or like, and you're saying, well, we actually start off the bat saying, I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Right? So we're, our, our Christianness is not based upon us being sinless, but in fact, it's the other way around. Right? We're, our Christianness is because we're sinful and we know where to run. We know where to go when we're sinful, right? So that we need a Ten Commandments that would actually show us, to show us our sin. And so that get, gets into the kind of the main purposes of the law and the kind of sins that the law exposes. So... Um, as, we, as we consider our sins, is sin what we do or something else? What's the something else? So, it's, so my sin is what I do to actions against my neighbor and my failure to love and serve my neighbor as I'm supposed to, right? So is that... I kind of wish I had written all this smaller or not at all because now I've taken up the entire board. <laughs> the terrible strategy error. So my sin is the stuff that I do and the, when, I, when I don't do the good that I'm supposed to do. This is called my active sin, actually, active. Actual sin. So this would be active that I do. If I write this small enough, then you can't see it. Ella's like, I can't see that. My eyes are young, I still can't see it. The sin that I do is active, and the sin that I don't do is passive. That is, I'm supposed to be doing something good that I don't do. Actual sins. The deeds. 
the fruits. But what do fruits grow on? Trees. Trees. So if I've got bad do's and don'ts, bad actual sin, bad deeds, what's that really saying about myself? That I'm a bad tree. So this gets into not just the do's and the don'ts. So our sin isn't, it's actually not, first and foremost, it's not just what we do and what we don't do, but it's our original sin. So this is our, our tree. It's really our, our being. <laughs> it's not just what we do, but it's what we are. I am a sinner. I don't just do sins. You see? See the difference? It's a pretty helpful difference because now, like, even if I'm, I, I, I can't avoid it. Everything that I do, everything I touch becomes corrupted by my, it's like, a, it's like a little kid getting grease all over their hands and then trying to do anything without making it dirty. Go do something good. Go clean up the house with your greasy hands. Everything's going to get worse, right? So th this is our, our the, the, the nature of our sin actually starts with our being. I am sin, as we, as we had it in confession right off the bat, we are by nature, let me just flip back and look at it. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, but what we have done and what we have done, not done. We have loved our whole heart or our neighbors as ourselves. That's all the deeds, but I am by nature sinful and unclean. I am a poor, miserable sinner. So it's the am, the are, right? The tree. So Jesus, what he's after, he calls to himself bad trees, that do bad fruit, which, and how do I find out if the fruit is bad? And how do I know, so I, I know I'm a bad tree because I'm born sinful and I know I'm gonna die and that's the consequences of sin. But how do I know that my, my fruit is good or bad? How do I measure it? What's the standard? Well, you go to apple orchard and you pull off the tree and you look at it. We were just at apple orchard last weekend, so it's fresh on my mind. It's pretty cool, you go and you give them like, 20 bucks per person. Have you been to Apple? This is a racket they've got, man. Anyway, what am I going to do with a thousand apples that I had to just buy? Anyway, so you, you pull these apples off the tree, and this one's not up to par because it's what? It's like brown or smashed or it's got a hole in it, whatever. Or I took a bite out of it and threw it on the ground because I feel like I deserve it because I paid so much, whatever. So I have all, this, have all these apples. What made it bad, though, wasn't something. It was actually, in my head, there's a standard. There's a picture of an, an apple, right? It's usually pictured on, like, a teacher's desk, right? Or whatever, this perfect red apple with a little leaf on. You know, you know the picture, right? So there's a picture of perfection that, ha that I have when I'm measuring these apples. So, too, when it comes to me, my tree, and my life of fruit, what's the, what's the picture, What's the picture of perfection that God lays out for us to measure the fruit? By, by which we are to measure the fruit? It's the, the commandments. We really would say the law, uh, the law which actually came before the commandments, but ultimately the law ends up being codified on the, on, in the commandments. And we know that, so, I mean, just to save time, we know the law is written on our hearts. This is uh, Paul in Romans 2, that the law is, is written on our hearts, and therefore we, we know right from wrong. We, 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 we intrinsically, we feel guilt. 
And this is pictured right away when Cain kills Abel. Cain didn't have the Ten Commandments. Moses hadn't showed up yet, right? So Cain kills Abel, and then he lies about it. Hyde tries to cover it up. Even Adam and Eve and their sin, what do they do? Right away if they sin, they, they bail. They go hide. And then they start lying and accusing each other. So we didn't need the Ten Commandments to know right from wrong. It's actually built into us. It's the same with a kid who kind of knows, like, how is it that, that these kids, when, when I'm talking about my, like my own children, like when they, when they do something they're not supposed to do, and I'm, we're teaching them right from wrong. That's parenting 101. It's like we're, they don't necessarily know. They don't know right from wrong. Our job is to teach them. And yet they'll lie about stuff that they've done wrong. Even though they we haven't really threatened any kind of punishment, but they're just like, well, I didn't. They try to self-justify. Why? Because they know they weren't supposed to eat that cookie. That was your sister's cookie. Why would you think it's okay to eat your cookie? What were you doing? <laughs> um, so the sin that we do, both our, our actual active and passive sin, the stuff that we do, but it's not limited to just that. It actually runs deep into all that we are. And it corrupts all that we are. It corrupts our ability to choose. That's why we, we say that I can't on my own actually choose to do good. I uh, the, even as, as a Christian, we're saying, I, I cannot by my own reason or strength do. Like, I, I can't choose toward God. I, my natural disposition is to go away from him, to be repelled from him. Only by the power of the Spirit am I kind of pushed toward doing good, driven toward good. Any, anything ultimately that good that I do comes from, from him. So we show up to church. Here we are. He only calls sinners to himself. And um, it's not just the sin. My sin is not just the sin that I've done outwardly or the, the good stuff that I was supposed to do and didn't do, but it's actually all that I am. You know, I'm, I'm sinful to the core. And, the, and the, the, the goal of what Jesus is doing for us in church, and then maybe this is a key point, because so far all I've laid out is sin. When you come to church, when Jesus calls us together to his name, it could very well be that he's teaching us to do better fruit. Stop being bad, do more good. Do, do the stuff that you're, that you're sorry for, make it better. So think about it, that's the goal of church. So Jesus, of course, calls sinners to himself. And now you, you've come to church and here at church, what, what we're trying to do is trying to teach you how to be better and do good. Now, if, if, I, if we approach church like that, what we're assuming then is that the person there is a free agent that I'm trying to persuade to do good or avoid bad, right? But the problem is I don't have a free agent because this person's problem isn't the deeds, it's the tree, see? So I can, for you to come to church, for, for a person to think that coming to church is about being instructed on how to improve oneself, how to, how to be better and do better, it, it would be the equivalent of like, Having a, having a dead tree, like dead to the core, rotten branches and everything, and you take a nice apple from the grocery store and you walk out there on the dead tree and you duct tape it to the tree. Like, obviously, that's not, it didn't grow there. I mean, what are you doing? You've actually now ruined the apple by putting duct tape all over it. So you killed the apple and the tree was already dead. You're just making things worse, See? But isn't that, that's the idea. So when I'm coming to church, Jesus isn't in the business of, t of teaching us how to be better. We had the law already. Jesus is in the forgive forgiveness business. So he calls sinners to himself for the purpose of forgiving them. But 
in order to fix a broken bone, you have to have the x-ray, right? You have, to, you have to have the diagnosis before you know where to apply or uh, what, what solution to apply or where to apply the, the medicine. And so we have the law. So he's called us to his name to forgive our sins. We confess that we're sinful, by our, sinful to the core in what we, uh, what we do, what we don't do, but also all that we are, most importantly, and all of our sin comes from that. And we just walk up to Jesus in confession. We just drop it all at him. We just throw it. Everything I am, I'm, so I don't have to enumerate all my sins. Like this particular sin is, if I, don't, if I miss something, that's, it's not gonna get forgiven. So we have this luxury of just saying, you know what, Jesus, take it all, man. It's the stuff that I'm missing. But if there's particular sins, we'll come back to this in, in confession and absolution, but often for, for all of us, there's individual sins that plague us or haunt us or we, we return to. And with that, Jesus has given private confession and absolution for that purpose so that a person is able to be with the pastor and the right for confession is pretty simple. It's similar to our, to our corporate confession, but all you're saying, you basically sit there and you say, I, I'm a, basically the same introduction as here. I have sins, it's, it's bothering me. What, what bothers me in particular is whatever the thing is. And then at that point, the pastor applies forgiveness directly to that sin. It's like getting a tick off, you know, with, a, with like a burning match, just right there. You put the forgiveness, Jesus forgives that sin. Then there's actually pastoral counsel given for that individual sin, like depending on the nature of it, like, hey, what can we maybe, how can we approach life a little bit differently to help free you from the bondage to that particular sin, right? And kind of like Christian counsel. But know that that's, that that's there for you in a private sense. But I need to know what sins to confess. And so Jesus gives me the Ten Commandments to expose for me my sins so that I know what sins to so I know what sins to confess. Now, what's helpful about the law, if you flip to, we're in Luke 5 here, flip over to Romans 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans 3.20. And if you're in the same Bible as me, which I think you all are, I think it's page 941. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, that's God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift and Paul is famous for his really, really long verses, so I'm just going to stop there. But the point is here that through the law comes knowledge of sin. So when we think about when we hold up the Ten Commandments to our lives, what the Ten Commandments are after is actually exposing our sin. That's the main thing. So it's not me standing up there in front of the Ten Commandments saying, okay, which ones have I kept and which ones have I not? It's not a checklist or a, um, like, you must, be this high, you must be this tall to ride. Like, can I slip in under these commandments? No, the commandment, every single one of the commandments, what it's after is hitting you, killing you. Every, every one of them, every the commandments. So you're, if you're doing it right, there's not a commandment that you're keeping. And that's because the commandments cut both ways. We kind of finished last week talking about that, how the commandments don't just say don't murder your neighbor, but it's also, that's not good enough. Since we're in the Bible, flip over to Matthew 5. 
This is Jesus really bringing the hammer. For those who thought, you know what, Jesus? Um, Jesus has come to, um, to make the law really easy. Uh, take the law away or something. No. Matthew 5, which is, uh, we'll flip over to page uh, maybe 8, 10, 8, 11. Yeah. Let's look at, we'll just skip down to maybe Matthew five twenty one at the bottom of eight ten. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults will be liable to the council, and whoever says you, f- you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And skip over to lust on, on uh, verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his heart. We um, may skip over to 40. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is doing, he's upping the bar. People are coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's like the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. A, a, a guy comes up to Jesus and says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And right away, he's missing the point. What, what does anybody do for an inheritance? No, what, what has to happen for you to receive an inheritance, though? Somebody has to die, but it's not you. If you die, it does you no good, Right. Somebody has to die, and now we're seeing where Jesus is going. Like, he's got the right idea of inheritance. But for me, if I say, what must I do for eternal life? Jesus says, well, as he says to the guy who shows up, he says, you know the law. What does it say? And the guy says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus kind of tries to give him an impossible scenario. So he, he's, he's convicted by his sin. And that's the point. Jesus is always it's a, a guy who thinks he can... Like probably Dragu being probably the tallest and, and youngest among us. Oh, it's Ella. I don't know. You guys, Ella, I don't know if you can jump higher than Dragu, but assuming Dragu can jump, I bet you he could jump up and touch that, that light fixture there. And so it's like, okay, if you can jump up and touch the light fixture, then you can get into heaven. And so, okay, I'll try to do that. But Jesus is like constantly like raising it up. So right when you're, so Dragu gets a nice squat, he's about to jump, and then Jesus kind of pulls the levier and he just kind of goes up. So that's what he's doing with the law. Jesus is saying, if you want to be saved by the law, here, fine, do it. And then he just keeps making it more impossible. The law is trying to take any hope of salvation out of our hands to make it all in Jesus' hands. See? That's different than the law trying to be the thing that saves us. Or being like, when I, if I, so think about how this works with a, a sermon, for example. Many of you coming from various different uh, church backgrounds. What the Lutheran sermon is attempting to accomplish is to preach the law as it was basically uh, typically from the gospel reading that was read that day, but is to deliver the law to the people who are gathered here as though an x-ray would be shined on a particular struggle of sin. The, the, the tree, did I erase it? No, it's still there. The tree or, and or the deeds would be exposed so that we're aware of our sin quite deeply and directly, and then apply the gospel that Jesus gives in the, in the gospel lesson that day. That's what we're trying to accomplish. We're actually, I'm not trying to, to teach you. I mean, hopefully that happens as a, as a side effect, but that's not the main goal. The main goal is actually to have, have trees that are kind of like 
brought in and to kill them with the law and give new life with the gospel. That is a proclamation of sins forgiven. So you see the difference? Whereas like, if, if my goal is to help you be a better father, friend, neighbor, husband, whatever, then now we can have a 10-part sermon series on how to be a better husband. And I could give you a list of practical things to do. That would be all law, which isn't necessarily bad, but that's not the gospel. It would be stuff for you to do, right? So uh, that, that kind of counsel has a place perhaps in a Christian counsel and that sort of thing, but it's not the role of the pulpit. It's not what we're trying to accomplish in church. So when, when the Christians are gathered together, they've already confessed their sins, and yet Jesus continues to call us to himself. So he would expose our sin, convict us of our idols, really chop our idols down, and forgive our sins. And then set us free to love, and he sends us about our lives for us to immediately get ourselves back into trouble. And he says, no, come, you, you know, when you get into trouble, you know where to run. Come back, right? So that's kind of like, you see how the, the whole starting point of our sinful nature being first on the, in the six chief parts of the catechism. We start there, so we realize just how bad our sin is, just how deep it runs. It's not just the actions that I do, it's all that I am. And Jesus is then not just forgiving individual acts, but he's trying to create a new person. See the difference? So we're not trying to put apples, fake apples on a dead tree. We're trying to actually create a new tree. And from a new tree comes actual good fruit. So that'd be like thinking about the difference when you think about, perhaps as a bad example, like sin, sincere fruits of love versus um, acts of obedience motivated by the law would be like um, if, if, a, if there's like a, a mother who's telling her son to, oh, here's a better example. Ah, this would be good. So dad, dad says, hey, uh, cut the grass. Why? I don't want to cut the grass to the, to the kid, right? And the kid's like really throwing, raising a, I'm not going to cut the grass. Oh, I hate cutting the grass, dad. Quit being so oppressive. <laughs> and dad's having to threaten. Look, cut the grass or you can't, whatever, watch TV, go out. You can't go out this week or do anything fun. You can't play softball, whatever the thing is, right? So then with animosity in his heart and anger against dad, the kid gets on the lawnmower and cuts the yard. Has he cut the grass? Is it accomplished? Yes. Was it done out of love? No. Same scenario. In this situation, dad gets home from work. The grass isn't cut. And dad's like down and sad. Why? And the kid said, what's, what's up, dad? Oh, I, I lost my job. Or, or whatever, some sad, some sad scenario where the kid is just sees the, the pain and the anguish and the despair on dad's face. And the kid's like, I, I got to do, I want to do something. I need to do something to make dad, to help dad feel better. And like, I don't know what to do. I can cut the grass. Maybe that'll help him. So I'll go cut the grass and maybe that'll make him happy. So dad didn't have to tell him. He's trying, he actually is after loving dad. So he's able to do this thing, this, this act of love, this good fruit, motivated not by fear or trying to appease a command, but actually out of love for the neighbor. And so what Jesus is after is killing the old, the old sinful self in us that's only driven by law. And even if you, if you do the good works that the law demands, if you've only done them to make the law happy, that's still not out of love. Just because you've kept the commandments 
reluctantly doesn't mean you've actually kept the commandments. It means you've done some stuff or avoided certain things, but Jesus is after love in the heart. And from the love in the heart comes an actual life of love toward the neighbor. So uh, Jesus is in the, uh, the new heart giving business, heart transplant business, and that's the week after week, the ongoing. So we kind of go back into our, our sinful lives and he calls us back, forgives our sins, gives us a new heart. And so we sing like Psalm 51 that we sing after sermons sometimes, creating me a clean heart, O God, right? Creating me a clean heart, O God, renew steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. We're, we need a new heart, and that's what Jesus is doing. Um, so with our remainder of, of time here, what I, what I like to do is look at the Ten Commandments one, one pop at a time. So open your, if you have your catechism, you can turn to it. If you don't, it's actually in the back of your Bible or in the, I think it's in the middle of the hymnal as well. So pick your poison. I'm going to go with the catechism because it's closer to me. If you don't have your catechism, you just have to struggle your way through. Maybe Stephanie can tell you where to look. <laughs> you find it? No, I think last week we found it, and I said, I never remember this. You find it? Yeah. 1054 in the Bible. There it is. 321 in the hymnal. So we got all kinds of different places to turn. The Bible's like a small print. <laughs> all right. So when you're brought into membership, um, you stand up in front of the church and say, and I say, uh, do you believe that the Bible is the, the word of God and the way that we teach it and, and or the way that... Um, do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? You say, yes. And you say, do you believe that the, the faith as, as it's confessed in the small catechism is true? And you'd say, yes. So we have to, we should probably look at the small catechism from time to time so you can actually say that honestly, right? So here's the catechism, page, oh, whatever, the first commandment. As the head of the family should teach it in a simple way to his household, you shall have no other gods. Simple enough. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And that's really all you need. So everything else comes from that. To have properly placed love of God is really what the commandments are all about. I'm the Lord your God. I led you out of Israel. I, I, you, were in, you were a slave. You had nothing. I took you to the promised land. I love you. I set you free. And now I'm putting my name and presence with you. Uh, let's get together every week to have our sins forgiven, you rest. And now, you know, don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't cheat. Be content with what you have, and, and it's going to be great. That's your life. And uh, that's kind of what he's after the Ten Commandments in setting us free to live a life of love. But ultimately, because we're in our sinful flesh, we don't. And so we end up fearing, loving, and trusting in other things. So first, fear. So when you see fear God... Maybe you think, well, you know what? I've always thought about loving God. This came up in Bible study on Sundays um, a couple weeks ago. But the picture of Jesus, Jesus loves the little children. Jesus loves me, this I know. All this stuff about God is love. And then when we start off the bat with we should fear God, that doesn't really, doesn't really fit, right? So in what sense are we supposed to fear God? Well, it's... It's more that because we have properly placed fear, or you have, for one, you have the, the whole reverence thing, the, to revere God in the sense of like, if, if, you, have, if you get to meet um, Albert Pujols, I don't know who any other famous people today, apparently. 
So that's two Pujols references in one day. Uh, somebody famous, you know, the queen um, or the new, whoever the new king is. What's his name? Charles. Charles. Did he get a new name, though? No. He didn't change his name? Uh, so, like, so it's kind of an exciting thing, you know. So there, a little bit of that, a little bit of that fear is there, but that's not really what this is after. It's more of like, if the if I'm afraid of anything else, then it's becoming my God. So if I'm afraid of dying, so much that it turns me away from my faith in God. If I'm afraid of losing my money, losing any, losing my job, that it's that it's controlling me and causing me to sin. My fear of whatever the thing is that causes me to walk away from God has, has shown what my God is. So I'm supposed to love God, I'm supposed to fear God more than all those other things. So when I do that right, I turn to God, fearing him alone, I find that he's actually not a God to be feared at all. He's a God who says, fear not, right? He's the one who forgives our sins. He's got his hands pierced by the cross for us. So ultimately, he's not a God to be feared unless we, of course, reject him, right? Um, but ultimately, though, we, we need not fear anything else. But whatever we fear in this world will control us and become our God. Then also to love and trust in God above all things. So I love him more than anything else. Uh, my love for him is how I live my life and my service to my neighbor. It make, helps me guide my decisions. I trust in God when everything goes bad. Uh, I trust in him to provide for all my needs. But ultimately, we see that w- when, I, when I'm afraid, when I'm anxious, when I worry about stuff, I'm seeing that I don't trust in God as I, as I should. And I'm, I'm fearing other things. Now, every, all the commandments, the rest of the commandments all line up quite beautifully behind that first commandment so that whenever I, whatever sin is, whatever the particular sin might be, uh, you, you can if you think about like, um, we'll grab the eighth commandment. To, to, we're supposed to defend our neighbor's reputation and not speak evil of other people, right? Well, if my, if my God is myself and my pride, my reputation, I won't lose my, I will not have my reputation besmirched I want my, my pride is going to be God no matter what. Then I'm willing to do anything it takes to keep that God happy. If that includes taking down Dragoo's reputation, hurting him so that I think that you like me more. See, maybe I'm willing to lie, uh, cheat, maybe even kill because my pride is at stake. So you see all this, all the commandments kind of rally up behind what my God is. Um, and like every TV show in the what, early 2000s was like NCIS and this at a different town or like whatever the, uh, it's, it's all murder mysteries. And really now it's funny as you go through Netflix, like everything is a murder mystery. What's going on? But uh, like every, every single story, it's, it's, all, it's all the same. There's always lies. It's usually like an affair. There's like cheating. There's, and then there's a murder. And then there's a lie to cover up the murder. And like, you can't ever trust anybody. And Whoever the first person is that, that seems like they didn't do it and they said they didn't do it, they obviously did, right? It's always the same plot over and over again. But you see how these, all these kind of sin, they line up behind each other. And money is, money is often, very often, the God, right? That's going to be the text for this coming Sunday. Jesus says you must, a man must choose between God and money. You can't serve two masters. One of them is going to control you. And so if money is my God, I'll do anything it takes to get more of it. If that means kill, 
to do it, lie to do it. Uh, the poor guy from Bed Bath & Beyond who, who uh, jumped off a building because of, I guess, allegedly, um, I don't know if you saw that in the, the news or whatever. It's yeah, so like, what? Because of the stock and all that kind of? So like, why would a person do that? Well, maybe, so to, maybe the, the, the backstory there, maybe there's a lot of, maybe he had some personal debt he was trying to figure out and you add to the stress of like, maybe he had some financial worries at home and his marriage was kind of falling apart and just his kids were going to college and all these kind of things are piling up. Maybe he was worried about his reputation. He, want, he wanted to be the best manager that there was and um, all these sins kind of line up behind getting, getting more money for some reason. So that's why all the commandments, the meaning of all the commandments start in the same way. If you'll notice, um, like the second commandment, not to misuse the Lord's name, what does this mean? We should fear and love God so that, so that, remember that's the first commandment. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And when we've got fear, love, and trust properly placed on God, then everything else flows in place. But Really, we, we, we see where whenever we break the second commandment, we're fearing and loving something else. So here we go. We, we, should, we should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so we do not curse, swear, use witchcraft, satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name. But, so that's just, those are the negative things that we're supposed to avoid. But the positive things that we should actually call upon it in every trouble Pray, praise, and give thanks. So there's a right way to use God's name that he gives it to us as a gift for us to call upon, give thanks to. Um, but not to, not to use it, not to lie by his name or deceive. And he actually cautions us against the satanic arts, which is a growing thing these days. I mean, a real way, like actual. My wife in Colorado, she worked at a florist shop. Um, and the, and the, late, the gal who owned the florist shop was a Wiccan so she like she identified as a witch, and so obviously I had fun conversations with her. <laughs> but they would like go up in the mountains and like worship this like um, this some weird dragon thing. There's like a festival, and they'd basically be naked and drugs were involved and all this kind of stuff, and just like really bizarro type stuff, calling upon the devil, actually inviting in the devil. So I mean that's that's not a thing you want to mess around with. Um, so we want, to, we want to avoid the unholy things and, and lean towards the holy things, right? So let's, that's using the, the Lord's name rightly. The other, the other big maybe misuse of his name would be like damning things. It's, teaching confirmation, it's funny. A few things you can always get the kids' attention. The sixth commandment coming up later, but um, cuss words like the F-bomb. Um, there's a lot of like, which, which commandment does the F-bomb break? So you think like, the, as far as like, what are the te- most terrible things that our kids can do or say? Um, it's funny, like the F-bomb tends to get a most, the most uh, attention perhaps, but it, but it would seem that, that, that God damn it is, that's the, that's the big one. That's actually calling God's name down and to damn something. So misusing his name in a way that actually brings damnation to someone is perhaps the worst the worst thing we could ever say, because God might actually do it. <laughs> so to say such things is really, really, really bad. So other cuss words, there are other, other four-letter words that the kids can th- kind of throw out there are just, are just dumb. You, know, you, just look, you look silly. Um, obviously, some of them are, are taking the sixth commandment lightly, which we'll get to perhaps, but 
Uh, and that's kind of the way I, I don't teach that to the, the junior high kids because it just encourages them to use profanity. But like, I'm, I usually don't get worked up about it. Uh, for me, it's like, you just look silly and don't use that language around my little girls because I want them to be little girls. These are my princesses. Don't, don't talk dirty in front of them. But it's not a biblical reason until you say, God damn it. Now you're actually crossing a line that's... Yeah, see, that's the problem. So, and, so, and right away, this is actually great. I'm glad you brought that up. So how far can I go? Right. Where does it actually become? And this is, this is, this is where I start playing the, uh, I can become a Pharisee. Like, what's the line? Uh, what can I do or can't I do? And there's a reason why I want to figure that out. So if I can figure that out, then I need to know exactly how I can get by in this life without sinning or because I can make God happy, or I want to figure out what I need to confess so I can sleep in peace at night, right? So I need to actually, I need to hone in on what exactly is my sin. So I need to be, I need to be really clear about what is, what is and what is not acceptable. Well, that's approaching God. Remember going back to how I said when we come to church, we're coming to church not for him to put fresh fruit on a dead tree, but we're coming to church and just confessing the whole tree. So really, it doesn't matter um, trying to figure out whether or not the difference in damn it and God damn it. It's like, well, I mean, you, first of all, you know what you meant. It's probably not the best thing to say, so just don't say it. Um, but as far as what we need to confess, the whole, the whole show, right? Um, Some faiths say, gosh darn it, is it just a substitute? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have the kids at school. I want to hear back. Right. But then we're, then, we're getting, then we're getting into ultimately... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, our words all mean things. So gosh darn it, or whatever. It's ultimately, it's the same thing. When you say gosh, God, oh gosh, or something, you're not thinking God. That, exactly. You're not. But the kids say OMG. <laughs> right. That, I don't like it, but I don't want to. But so this, what's, here's, what's, here's what the point is. All this is to have us mindful of the words that we're using as it's exposing our, how flippant we are with God's name. There's a right way to use God's name in a wrong way, and we shouldn't use it the wrong way. We should use it the right way. Um, and, 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 by, and by so doing, we're showing our love for him by, by using his name rightly. Third commandment, the Sabbath day. This is a great one because this is misused all the time by Chick-fil-A. <laughs> uh, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that... We don't despise preaching in his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. So the Sabbath, as it was given in the, to the Old Testament people, was a, was a day, a 24-hour period that was for the purpose of rest, and most importantly, rest toward hearing and delighting in God's word, because the word is the thing that cleanses and gives rest. Jesus then shows up, and he fulfills the commandments. He is our Sabbath rest and sets us free from the law. So after Jesus, the Sabbath now takes on a new meaning. Every day is us resting from the law. Every day is a Sabbath rest. What makes a day holy is not you doing anything or not doing anything, but what makes the day holy is, well, what makes anything holy? Which member of the Trinity makes anything holy? The Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit use to make things holy? The Word. Right. So whenever we're like even now, as we're as we're hearing God's word, we're, t- we're learning God's word, rejoicing in God's word. That's what's ultimately making the, the day holy, making this making us holy. And we are resting 
from the labor of trying to appease God through the law. And so the commandment, though, notice what it says. It doesn't say you have to go to church on Sunday. It says we should fear and love God so that we don't despise his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. That word gladly, that's the ax. Because we can say, okay, I can go to church and check the box, but it's actually now getting into the realm of subjectivity. Now you got to do it gladly without a spot of, of reluctance or animosity or being distracted by what's on your iPhone or whatever, whatever the thing can come up with. It's, remember, the law's job is to convict us, to show us our sin. So it's always trying to raise the bar, always trying to show that we can't, we can't do it enough, that we don't love it enough as we should. So the third commandment, calling us back to God's word, the thing that makes us holy. The fourth commandment, honor your father and mother. We should fear and love God so we don't despise or anger our parents or other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. From the family come all other authorities. So the, it's the fourth commandment, by the way, when I had to write all these like vaccine exemption letters for folks. The fourth commandment is one, one of the major premises for that because ultimately it is given over to the parents to make these decisions for the family. All other authorities, like the government, flows out of the parent. So the office of teacher, the office of police officer, all the government that we have is ultimately built up around protecting the family. So in a very primitive way, if we were an economy, just us, if we were like, we are the ones who settled America, and we were all kind of living in semi-close proximity to one another, like if I'm, I'm trying to farm and we're all trying to farm, but if all of us are farming, no one's going to protect us from invaders. So maybe we'll have Dragu grab a rifle. But if he's watching everybody with a rifle, then he's not farming. So now we have to, okay, we're going to pay. We're all going to kind of chip in a little bit and have Dragu watch the borders for us with a rifle. And now we've got government. And now also, you know, if we're all, if we're all growing corn all the time, we're going to get kind of sick of it. It'd be nice to have some pork every now and then, right? So uh, maybe John grows some pigs, grow raise pigs, but now I got a trade. So I'm going to make a deal. I'll trade you a pig for a bushel of corn or whatever, however you measure that stuff. Here's a contract and I, I can cheat you, right? I can, I can, you can give me the pig and I never, I never give you my corn. So we need somebody to fulfill the contracts. That's the government stepping in to actually fulfill the contracts and protect us from evil. That's a very basic primitive level of the government. But it all came down to ultimately what's my family, protecting my family, extolling uh, the, an economy that ultimately provides food and shelter and safety for my family. And the government flows out of that. So all other authorities, that's why here it commends us to, has us honoring other authorities, such as the government, police officers and the like, all flow out of the family. Fifth commandment, on murder, don't hurt or harm our neighbor, our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. So don't just don't, don't hurt him, but also help him whenever he needs help. So you can't, you can't keep the commandment just by not killing someone and also even by not thinking evil thoughts, but you have to always be doing good for everybody. Uh, this actually is both the beginning and the end of life. So, we, so abortion would be obviously taking the life of a, even, even if it's like, so this is where I love this uh, Darren Bailey guy. Um, J.B. Pritzker has, has made it so easy for me to remember the guy to vote for because Every time you get on YouTube, there's like an ad about Darren Bailey. Is it Darren Bailey? Bailey is the only name I remember. And he's supposed to be a bad guy because he's against abortion. So let me, let me put it a different way. Bailey doesn't want to kill babies, and therefore he's a bad guy. 
this other guy wants us to kill babies. And that's good? But that, that doesn't make any sense. So when you kind of put, when you make it really clean like that, why is it bad? Why would it be, why would it be acceptable to kill babies? Well, if my personhood, this is a longer conversation now that we're like at time, if my identity as a person is based upon my independence, so especially from a female, from a female's perspective, so she has to be the one to carry the baby. So for her to be truly equal to a man who can just kind of get it done and walk away, right? He's free. So the woman, for her to be truly equal to the man, she needs to be, she needs to be able to be free in the same way. So her humanity is based on her independence and therefore, it's necessary for her to maintain her humanity, for her to kill that, to, to be free to choose to kill the baby inside of her. That is, a, that is a verbatim argument of those who are in favor of abortion. They're open about being, it's, it is killing a baby, but it's necessary. Just as it's necessary sometimes to execute criminals, there's, there are just reasons to kill certain things, people. So we can kill a baby in a womb if it it maintains a woman's independence, or if the life of the child was going to grow up in poverty, we don't want the child to grow up in poverty. That would be terrible. So the child would be better, and ultimately not only the child, but now mom would be a little bit poorer too because I'm going to take care of the child, so the mom needs to be able to kill the baby too. What's the God? Money. Money. So in an attempt to appease the money God will kill the baby. So... That's the, uh, the, the way we're to think about life in the womb at the beginning. It's always, it has value, not because, uh, it has value because, not because of the value that it brings to us as a society or, or the independence factor, all that, but it's simply that God created it in his image. And also, too, at the end of life, as a person with seemingly no, uh, today I got to visit Rich Sudis in the hospital, and Rich... Um, one of our longtime members had really, really, really bad dementia. He was at the, when he was at the top of his game, he was a scary dude. Like he used to go to China all the time and like big, just big power guy. And uh, he was on our board of finance, super sharp. And now he's just like, he's just kind of there. He's a, essentially a vegetable. He barely recognized me. And, um, but he did. He remembered the Lord's prayer. He sang, he sang, created me a clean heart. He sang, Jesus loves me. And he said the Lord's prayer with me. Doesn't remember who I am, who he is, but he got those three things. Pretty impressive. Um, but uh, where's I going with that? Oh, so, but he has, he, has, he has seemingly a lot less value now than he did when he was in his 40s, when he was really cranking out productivity. So right now he's not, I don't get anything out of him. So it's, he has no value. His, val, his life is worth less than somebody else, like all of you guys. You're able to actually contribute to society, right? So his, his life, maybe he'd be better off dead. Hence the argument for euthanasia, killing at the end of life. That's all determining a person's value, their personal value, based on what, they, what you can get out of them versus the fact that God made them and God decides when a, when a life is to be taken and when a life is given, for that matter. That's for God to determine. So that's, that's kind of how we look at a, both abortion at the, at the beginning of life and euthanasia at the end. I can crank out these last five uh, commandments real quick here. The sixth commandment regarding adultery. This is a great one. Um, regard, so we should fear and love God. Note all the other commandments. Remember they said, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this thing, do that thing. The sixth commandment's unique because when it comes to the sixth commandment, imagine I'm teaching eighth graders in confirmation 
And they're coming, they want to know, they want to know a line, don't they? In the sixth commandment, what is, what is adultery? What's the line? So notice Luther and his brilliance, he doesn't give a line. We should fear and love God so that we, it doesn't say don't do this, do this. It says so that we lead. It's just a straight directive. Lead a sexually pure and decent life and all that we say and all that we do and husband and wife love and honor each other. So rather than giving us a list of like a line to cross or avoid, or it's just like, it's just my entire life is to be consumed with this pure sexual desire and a decent life and all that I say and do. And marriage should be upheld and extolled. So obviously where all these commandments, remember what the law is after, the law is always showing us our sin in every way. Every commandment's just chipping away at us, showing us our driving us to driving us to Jesus for forgiveness, but also showing us how to love our neighbor. Because I think I talked about this last week. Ultimately, it's like, they're like the rules at the pool. Don't run. It's not there to take away your fun. It's so you don't slip and end up in a coma, right? They don't want you to drink out of a glass bottle on the pool because they don't want you to like slash. I mean, if you break glass and then we got glass in the water, it's like impossible to clean glass in the, out of a pool, Right? So like the idea here is for our own safety, the 10 commandments are given to protect us from ourselves because we would just assume go hurt ourselves. So God's trying to protect us from ourselves and set us free from our, from our sin. And yet we fail. And so he calls us back and forgives our sins. Not to steal, seventh commandment, fear and love God so we don't take our neighbor's money or stuff, even in getting in a, in a dishonest way but help him to improve and protect his possessions and income. That's the, my, that's the uh, put, your, put your grocery cart back in the little catch thing in the parking lot <laughs> because otherwise the wind's going to take it and slam it into my minivan and you're going to put a nice scratch down the side of it. So that's the idea. So I'm supposed to be mindful of other people's stuff. The seventh commandment is the, the reason why um, communists kill Jews. And Christians. Yeah, deep for you, huh? Uh, so the, it's, it's uniquely the Christians and the Jews who have the seventh commandment. The seventh commandment is what, is, what we, is what gives us personal property. If there's no such thing as personal property, then you can't steal anything, right? Like these Bibles and these hymnals, you're, you're part of this church. These belong to you. So you can walk out of here with, it's not stealing, right? They belong, they're yours. So in a socialist regime where everything is, is belong, belongs to the collective, there's nothing to steal. It's all, it's all commonly held stuff. But Jesus, or as God gives us in the seventh commandment, he actually gives us all that we have and protects it. So you can't take somebody's stuff. That's, that's stealing. Um, so that gets into a whole conver- a deeper conversation on, on taxes. So maybe uh, come back to Theology on Tap tomorrow and I'll give me, get a couple of beers in me and I'll open up about taxes a little bit more. But uh, confiscatory, confiscatory taxes, right? So you, make, you made too much money. You made more money. But, and because you've made more money, we're going to punish you by taking more of it. And if you don't pay it, what happens if you don't pay taxes? They come at you with a gun. What's it called when you take someone's money with a gun? I'm just saying. 
Uh, eighth commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. We should feel love God so we don't tell lies about our neighbor. Betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Often, generally, lying is, is, uh, is associated with the Eighth Commandment, but it's really, it's better than that. So it's not just don't tell lies. It's actually, it's actually don't let tell lies about your neighbor. Don't try to hurt your neighbor's reputation, but instead, defend your, ne- your neighbor's reputation. Cover up things. We're, we're trying to, like, like you, you got a guy who maybe showed up with too many, too, like, like say, let's pretend we had another imaginary person here in our new member class, and he shows up, and he had a really rough day at work, so he had like six martinis before he came here, and he's getting over a really rough time. He kind of wanders in, and he's really going to make a fool of himself to you guys. So, I, so maybe I'll just pull him aside, like, hey, buddy, let's, I'll pass him off to John. John, can you kind of get him home safe, you know? Come back in. Hey, where's, what's his face? And we're just going to, I'm just say, yeah, I don't know. He just had to run home. Or I could tell you, yeah, man, he reeked of booze. Can you believe that guy? So now you see how can, the idea would be that we kind of, we come up along beside our, our brothers and sisters who are in their struggling and in their trials, and we kind of take their burdens onto ourselves and help them shoulder it and help protect their reputations, just as we'd have them do to us, right? So we want to defend and speak. The, the, the old translation would say, to Beth, what's the old translation of the Eighth Commandment? Defend him, speak well of him, and put the... Best construction on Put the best construction you, you guys learned that, that language in the old catechism, the best construction? So that's like, it's, it's, the, it's the scene of like, it's, it's the way I try to think of it for like the kids, as if like, if I walk, if I walk into this room, that's a bad example. Let's say John, John left his wallet here, and, um, and, he, and everybody left, and I'm, and I, and I'm come back, swimming, swinging back through here to turn off the lights, and I see a wallet saying, oh, somebody forgot their wallet. Um, I better, whose is this? Well, maybe you check the ID, flip it. And as I open the wallet, like, I had it upside down, and the money falls on the floor. Like, ah, oh, I'm such a klutz. <laughs> it wasn't John's wallet. <laughs> totally empty. It must be John's. No. Uh, so, oh, so it's, I see it's John. But as I open the wallet, and the money falls on the floor, and I, I bend over, and I pick it up, and now I'm, oh, Oh, wow. Why does he have like $700 bill? That's interesting. I'm holding a wallet. And then at that moment, John walks back in because he realized he forgot his wallet. And I'm holding his money in my hand. So the best construction would be, uh, he must have tried to pick up my wallet and the money fell out. He's just putting it back in. No big deal, right? But do we really go there? Whereas our, our first instinct is always, hey! <laughs> right? So in the same way, we're trying to like help put the best construction on other people's stuff. So like the guy, I mean, when the, when the poor guy fell out, of the, fell out of the building from Bed Bath & Beyond, you know, which, <laughs> like everything is screaming, this guy committed suicide. But then we're like, well, maybe, maybe he was pushed, maybe he slipped. I don't know how you could fall out of a building like that. It's, it's, possible, that he, it's possible that he slipped. And then uh, even, even if he did commit suicide, maybe we're starting to think, oh, maybe his, maybe his kids, like maybe his, his, one of his kids got, got cancer and he's really, really, really sad. His wife left him. Like all these really depressing things all piled up on him at once and he just couldn't take the pressure anymore. Like, so we're trying to find any possible way to get this guy off the hook. See, that's kind of like, that's the, not, we're not making up lies because we don't know the truth yet, right? So we're trying to put the best construction to help. 
That's the eighth commandment. We're really good at shattering that one thanks to online social media, are we not? It's so easy. And that's a bad one because our tongues do more damage. So the damage done by our tongues is harder to fix than damage done with like physically. You know, like I'd rather someone punch me in the face and then say they were sorry than say something hurtful about my person. It's just like hard to, it cuts so deep, you can't, it's hard to fix. Then the ninth and 10th commandment, both are about coveting and being content with what we have, not coveting our neighbors. Uh, so that in the ninth commandment, we should fear and love God, we should covet his neighbor's inheritance or house, again, in a way that only appears right. And then in the 10th commandment, we should fear and love God, so we entice away our neighbor's wife, workers, animals, house, ox, donkey, iPhone, car, Lamborghini, all the stuff. So the, the idea is looking at our neighbor's stuff and longing for it in such a way that it actually robs us of contentment and joy with what we are given, what we have. It's not to say that we can't like, hey, try to get, hey, my iPhone screen is shattered, I need a new one, or whatever the thing is, or my, my car is getting old, it's time for a new car. That's, that's reasonable. But the sin, the sin is seen in, yeah, you know what, that, that, guy's, that guy's always, everything seems to always go his way. You know, he's got, the, he's got the perfect wife and the perfect job and the perfect car, and my life is t- totally miserable. So I'm looking elsewhere where God has not put me, and it's, it's robbing me of joy in my own life. So God's saying, no, no, I gave you the stuff that you have. I gave them their stuff. You can help them protect it, help them to improve it, speak well of it, but that's not yours. This stuff is yours over here. Be content with what you have. And guess what? If you had all the stuff that they have, it's probably not going to be good for you. It might not be good for you, right? Since when is, since when is a, 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 a rock star, like every parent, like, oh, my, my daughter sings really well. Right? Maybe she's got a career in being a professional musician. Uh, yeah, that worked out really well for, you know, name Taylor Swift. Like all, every, every rock star there ever was maybe starts off innocent and well-intentioned, ends up with way too much money and then goes off the deep end. What's that one girl? It's like, Britney shoot, Britney Spears is a good one. Uh, the girl from the Disney Channel, like all the Disney stars. Oh, Miley Cyrus. Yes, Miley Cyrus. Like, what happened? What happened to this? <laughs> M-I-C-K-U-I. Nope, you're done, girl. <laughs> it did not go well for her. Wait, good reputation, okay? We're not <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so these are, these, are, these, are, these are public. No, but it's factual. You're not Well, these are clear examples that are easy for us to learn from, right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not shedding any light on that, which is not clearly in the light. So the idea then would be for us to find joy in what we have and knowing that God has given us what he wants us to have and, and has kept us, maybe perhaps he's kept us from certain temptations by not giving us these other things that we might desire. And in our sin, we're always, we're always looking elsewhere, right? Trying to, trying to find happiness somewhere else. Now, all of this is, it has us, it has us coming before the Lord repenting, that is confessing the whole lot of I'm a sinner, my fruit is bad, my tree is bad, I've done wrong in what I said and what I, and I don't, I can't even get my, my mind around a list. Now, the listing of stuff is helpful when I'm trying to think my way through the best way to handle certain situations ethically in my life, perhaps, or how I need to act in a particular situation toward my neighbor. It guides me because I want to be loving so in order to be loving toward Lee, I don't hit him in the back of the head, right? 
So to be loving is to not do that. So instead, I want to help and improve his, his possessions and income and help protect his body and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so the Ten Commandments guide us in the way we live toward our neighbor. Um, it also helps us navigate uh, tricky situations, perhaps. But ultimately, we also know that we're not going to keep it. And therefore, it's, it's convicting us. It's showing us our sin. Now, that gets us through. It went quite a bit long now. I apologize. So that's the Ten Commandments. So we can say we've been through those. Um, next week, we're off. Maybe I feel less bad about going late because we're off next week. Um, we're, off, we're off on the 21st, and then we're back on September 28th, and we'll jump into the creed, the next big section of, of the, we'll have three weeks on the creed. Also coming up on November 3rd is our uh, new member social. So we have a time right here in the room. We'll have November 3rd at 6.30. I'll have Beth email you the dates and all that. Um, really, it's all the key leaders in the congregation, board heads, elders, and their spouses in this room, just like just a time of just like getting to know, getting to know more people in the congregation. Uh, tomorrow, Theology on Tap, if you're into that, we're finishing a book on apologetics. And then coming up in, in the first weekend in October is uh, Oktoberfest. So it's a, if you haven't been to a fun, a classic Lutheran Oktoberfest, think brats and homebrew. And it's just really, it's a time to just sit and talk to people from church. That's how you build friends, right? So that's the idea. Any questions for me? Like 15 minutes. 15 minutes late. Sorry, guys. <laughs> let's, let's close with Luther. Stand and we'll close with Luther's evening prayer. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, you have graciously kept me this day, and I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong, and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. All right, thanks, guys. Sorry for, sorry for keeping you late.